Welcome to survival strategies. Survival is an absolute must for any business, whether you're a photographer or not. Surviving and thriving is a combination of things. Creativity, absolutely. But also marketing, business management, market understanding and some self-awareness. Ultimately, you need to be profitable in order to sustain and survive. So, um, before we introduce ourselves, we'd like to get an idea of who you all are. Um, we have a show of hands, please, for whether you consider yourself commercial, a commercial operator. Thank you. Uh, do you offer, uh, now have an artistic practice? <laughs> Some crossover from the one Thank you. Um, also, how many of you would consider yourselves established photographers? Good. Emerging? Okay, great. Gives us a little picture, I think. Um, before I introduce the panel themselves, I'd just like to have, have apologies from Gwen of the AOP and Susan Bright. They can't make it for personal reasons, I'm afraid. Um, if you'd like to introduce yourself, starting with Paul. Okay, thanks everyone. Can you all hear? Yeah, so I'm Paul Herman. Um, I, half the week I'm an editorial photographer, and the other half of the week I run Red Eye, which is a photography network. Uh, based in the north of England, um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much that's it, really. Thank you. Hello, um, I'm Brian, Brian Griffin. Uh, I'm seven days a week, 24 hours a day, commercial, artistic, and inverted commerce photographer, and have been since 1972. Thank you. I'm Ed Horwich. I'm a photographer. Uh, last 10 years or so, been running the Prodig email forum. The last three years, I've been on the board of the AOP. Tonight, we're going to we've got a rough kind of structure for our discussion, so we don't ramble too much. Um, we're going to have, have a look at the overview of the photographic landscape, what's the state of the nation, all this sort of stuff. Um, we're going to have a look at what it takes to be a photographer in that environment. Um, we'll have a look at the marketplace. We'll have a look at the future, which is the bit I'm looking forward to the most. We've not got, we've got an hour, so we're going to try and cram in as much as we can, but forgive us if we don't cover anything as much detail as you'd like. And then we've got an opportunity for you lot to ask us some questions, and we'll follow all that up with more networking, if you've been doing plenty of it already, so that's fine. Right, so we'll get started. Ed, could you give us an overview of the photographic landscape as it is today? What's changed in the last five years? Uh, I think the biggest thing um, that I've witnessed changing is um, the new challenges that every photographer has to face up to. We've had the challenge of the move from film to digital. Now we've got the challenge of where our markets are going to, how we deal with them, uh, can we hang on to our usage rights, how much can we charge for those things. Uh, just where are our clients? I mean, I mean I'm based up uh, near Manchester, and I know that half the studios have actually disappeared in at least the last five years, if not a bit longer. People started changing their working habits. So they continue to be a photographer, commercially based, but they'll not be working out of the studio, they'll be working out of home, and they'll be changing the markets in which they deliver to. On the other hand, a huge rise in the number of studios that rent out to photographers, and the demand for that sort of space has increased. But I mean, you've got the, the issue about stock photography, where the amount that, that, well, there's so many stock libraries that have been out there, and so many photographers have tried to create their own stock libraries, succeeded for a while and then failed. Old stock libraries being absorbed by Getty or Corbett, um, uh, and so on and so forth. And you have the latest thing where Getty, try to actually en enable people to buy from any of their stock, whether it's at rights managed or anything, uh, a web version at $49. And uh, there's been a huge outcry about that. So people actually trying to get together, unfortunately, most of the associations uh, in North America and Europe have actually got together on that particular issue and are starting to face down Getty. But it's not something you can do as an individual photographer. So how do you actually cope with all that, that's been the challenge and that's the thing which I think um, is, is providing the problems for most photographers now and just 
getting a day-to-day living. So, I mean, would you say that the, the picture, instead of getting brighter, it might be getting darker at the moment? Paul, is it? Um, well, there's a couple of positives, uh, growth areas. Uh, one that we all forget about, but is absolutely exploding, is the, is the world of non-professional photography, amateur photography, um, which is fascinating. It's, it's, uh, it becomes its own language. It will develop in, into something that's interesting, I'm sure. Um, and that uh, will lead to a whole bunch of work for people who are professionals, you know, in working with non-professional photographers. I'm sure that's a growth area. The other bit that's growing in a kind of strange way is the uh, fine art limited edition print world. If you're if you're on that if you're in that very thin slice of photographers who's um, incredibly well established with an international reputation and a West End gallery, then things are looking up. And actually. Um, well, we can come on to that probably later, but people like uh, Simon Norfolk and Luke Delay and um, uh, people like that have sort of reinvented themselves as artists and are doing pretty well. Is, that, is anyone going to Paris Photo tomorrow, Paris Photo? Or Photo London is the London equivalent, but you can have a look at this uh, blossoming <coughs> world and, and see what you think. Okay. Brian, any mm, sort of view? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, looking around the room, I mean, there are some people probably approaching my age, but I'm probably all, not the oldest, but one of the oldest photographers or professional photographers in Britain, really. So, which is very true because, like, I studied from 1969 to 72, and I've been at, I didn't assist anyone. I went straight away to be my own boss in the 72 down in London. I don't come from London, but that's where I headed because that was where, you know, where it was all happening. And, um, so I've been around a very long time, so I'm in my 35th year now, and I've survived it. Surviving being a commercial photographer is extraordinarily difficult. Um, if you want to sort of, I don't know, um, if you've got your own sort of internal rules and regulations where you want to be creative uh, at all times, um, you don't want to be just a, a jobber or whatever, surviving in photography is enormously difficult. And I've seen things change radically because I, I started when photographic galleries started. Right, the first photographic gallery started, I think, in 1971. And I managed to be in there at that time. There's a little group of us which you've all known, like the Martin Pars, the John Davises, the Chris Killips, the Graham Smiths, and everything started then. And some of us have, uh, have disappeared and some of us are still going, i.e. me and Martin, definitely. And... Um, I've watched it, and Paul's touched on a very interesting topic, which was the amateur market and the fine art market. Fine art market is a bourgeoning side of photography, which is wonderful, really, isn't it? That you can love something so much and earn money from it without having to be a commercial, i.e. jobbing practitioner. I think that's a great, great development in photography. I'm, I'm developing my own... Uh, I have to engineer and I have to market myself. Unfortunately, I've been doing it for all those years and people know me, so there's a little bit of help there. But also, you've got to be quite a strong personality and push yourself out and do things like tonight. I do things like tonight as often as I can. I give so much back in and promote myself as well as give. And you've got to continue to do that all through your career. And, um, and that you, you're per you've got to set your own parameters. And I set my own rules, my own agendas what I personally want out of photography, and I invest my time and efforts in getting out of photography what I personally want. I'm a strong, strong personality, and I push that forward. And by probably a certain amount of judgment and a bit of luck, I'm still really marching, marching on, you know. Um, do, you, do you feel that, um, given that there's more amateurs out there, um, and there's, most more people, there's more people buying fine yeah. art photography, are the public in general more in tune to photography? Is there a greater acceptance of its role? Oh, most definitely. I mean, it's wonderful. I mean, look here tonight. It's, I mean, I'm sort of like over the moon. We're in Derby, you know. I mean, okay, Derby's a wonderful place, but all these beautiful people that love photography, I, mean, I find it wonderful. Like, back in 1973, there'd been four in the corner and two over at the bar, and four sort of real geeks there over there with camera bags over their shoulders, and that would be it. <laughs> I mean, look at it. It's wonderful what's happening. And everyone's embracing photography. I go to photography schools. There's like 60 a year now. I mean, I got into photography school in Manchester in 69 because they were begging for people to, to join the course. 
I mean, and I, I was there the first day studying. They were still enrolling people. They got up to 22, you know. Um, it's wonderful to be part of something that is so exciting. And I just want to, you know, be part of all that. You know, and that's why, as I said, I'm, I'm here tonight. And it's great. I think photography's great. I always have done. I spent all my life doing it. So um, considering that there's, well potentially so many amateurs out there, but um, at the very least, there's a lot of people interested in being a photographer. Uh, Paul, what, what, does it, what does it take to be a photographer? <laughs> okay, quick answer. Um, I was at an event yesterday, somebody was saying, um, you need, as a photographer, you need to know communication, marketing, management, finance, oh, and some photography as well, you know. So. Um, Actually, that's not entirely frivolous. I think the whole communication thing is really important, and more and more, um, it is about your personality. It's so many worlds. So much of photography is based on personal contacts, what you're like as a person, how you get on with people, how you communicate your ideas. I mean, okay, at a kind of fine art level, uh, that becomes really important, and people who can um, uh, talk about photography, write about photography, write about their own work, write about other people's work, and have their own work written about all of that becomes really important. But at a commercial level, uh, obviously we, you know, we have to communicate. Um, we, I, I was talking to this guy from Adidas who commissions the people to go off and photograph um, the top sports stars. <coughs> and at any given time, he can choose between you know, a dozen or a hundred photographers. And he chooses the one who's not gonna piss off the tennis star, you know, for, or who, who doesn't smell, you know. It's, 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 uh, he'll, he'll come back and, and, and deliver the work reliably. Absolute reliability is, is, is critical. You know, answer your emails, answer your phone, all of that kind of stuff, to me, is, is almost as important as the quality of your work, in some, in some cases, more important. But, you know, just, just overall reliability. You're taking, I think it's great for a photographer to start thinking about taking other people's problems away and to kind of put themselves in the position, I mean, we'll get onto this in marketing, I suppose, later on, but, we'll, but put yourselves in the position of uh, what, what the buyer wants, what the photography buyer wants, what the person who's going to give you money, and then, and then think about what they need and, and deliver it. And it's, it isn't just photography, because otherwise you, you would then just be, if you like, an amateur photographer, somebody who loves photography, but that's the beginning and the end of it. And as a professional, there's a whole load more stuff, which I've mentioned very briefly. There's a myriad of business skills, but these things would apply to any business. And that could, you, could it be said that you have to you have to you have to know that you've got to be more than just creative. You have to, um, you have, at least have, to have an understanding of the requirements to make your business succeed. Otherwise, you won't be taking pictures in a week. Yes, I mean, I think you, you have to. Um, well, one thing that's critical, and I guess if Gwen were here, she'd talk about copyright and, and looking <coughs> after your work and and protecting it. I mean, copyright is not perfect, but it's all we've got that distinguishes us from uh, somebody who's just a jobbing um, employee. So as a freelance, obviously, uh, we all own copyright, and, and we, need to, we need to protect that because it's all we've got. And if you're an employee, you have um, you know, pension and holiday and perks and a company car and everything. But as a freelance, you keep your copyright, so you uh, learn about all that stuff, learn about licensing. You know, licensing is the way of, um, as I'm sure you all know, um, allowing people to use your work without them taking copyright. Um, we could talk more about that. I guess you guys. I think, I think we, well, we, there, there will be time at the portfolio reviews tomorrow. If anybody comes to those, can, go can, can I detail. just ask the audience? Yeah. Uh, who's familiar with Beyond the Lens, the, the book that the AOP puts out? There's quite a few people. Not everybody, but it's a publication which I mean, you can download odd chapters. We can buy the whole book from the AOP. And that goes into what Paul was just talking about. All these, all these issues about usage and licensing, and it gives you examples of how to invoice and terms and conditions for your work, and really sets out basic elements that you need to use in the business every day. But, you know, I mean, I mean Paul's right. I mean, it's more important now that you actually know all the aspects of your business. You're not, you're not just a safe pair of hands. I mean, the person who's commissioning photography always wanted a safe pair of hands to guarantee that their um, budget was not going to be flushed down the drain. I remember talking to one art director uh, who gave me an example. They uh, gave a job to uh, an upcoming young photographer because they really liked his work and he did these fashion shots for them 
and he had a cross-processing type of way of working with the images, and they loved it, and the first job went fine, so they gave him a second job, and he went off, and he went off, and he was really creative with it. Unfortunately, he used a completely different technique, which he didn't bother to tell them about, uh, spent all the money on the budget, and uh, the, the, well, the pictures just weren't appropriate for the job, and he'd wasted all the time in the agency, and um, they lost an awful lot of money, so he never got any work from them again. So, you know, more and more with, with, with budgets getting locked tighter these days, those, those are problems that we have to face. You know, the person who, who was just a safe pair of hands clicking the shutter and doing an aesthetically good job, you know, you've actually got to deliver it and you've got to deliver it with the right sort of invoicing, right sort of paperwork, done efficiently uh, and all sorts of things. And, and that's, that's a hard job now. Okay. Uh, up and coming, because I notice we do have quite a few emerging photographers here tonight. I guess at this stage of their career, there's all kinds of possibilities open to them. Should I go into fashion? Should I be a portrait? Should I be a wedding photographer? How, how should a, a new photographer go about making those decisions, um, Ed? I, I think most photographers these days, whether you're emerging or, or established photographer, um, you're having to look at lots of different uh, revenue streams for your work these days. It's not just going to the agencies and doing that particular style of job. Uh, I know most photographers that we see in Sun Awards, they're, they're doing agency work, they're getting work directly from business clients who are not going via agency, and they're selling their work, a small amount of work, I have to say, because it's still a grey market, into the fine art print sales market, and they've got their own work online, they've got it here, there and everywhere, and nearly everybody these days has got some images in a stock library. I mean, we still have in the AOP a bit of a fight between people who do stock and people who don't do stock, and there's still a bit of an, an argy-bargy about that, but I think it's a bit like the digital revolution. Um, when the digital started off, there was a handful of people who met in a small, dark, dank cellar and did digital photography, and then there was everybody else who said, oh, no, no, we're never going to do that. But really, secretly, in the background, they'd all bought a computer, they'd all bought the early digital camera, and they were playing with it, and they, they never admitted it to me. So, you know, it's, it, it really is a case of uh, got to have a spread of disciplines. You've got to be very focused on the best thing that you do, and you've got to make that the main thing that you do, but you've got to be available to actually be flexible and move and dodge around the market, because the market changes so quickly. We, just to quickly add to that, we, when we because Red Eye, we survey people, and that's actually a growing phenomenon, that there's a larger and larger group of people who are doing um, you know, four or five or six or seven different types of work as they see it, and a smaller and smaller group doing uh, one or two things all of the time. And we haven't correlated how much they earn against the number of different types of work they're doing, but, but I suspect that the people just doing one thing are probably not earning as much. Nothing wrong with it, but it just it's just what you say people are finding they have to do um, more and more different things and other things as well teaching not necessarily stacking shelves at Tesco's but you know <laughs> but just as quick also to say to go back to the thing that we didn't quite mention but it's, it's Brian cool. and he is the living example of a guy who goes around um, talking about his work communicating about his work and, and is never kind of knocked back right and so that's a kind of really important dimension I, I'll kind of yeah, no, jump no, that's that fine, I mean, how, how can a photographer get a, an honest assessment of whether they've got the, the right, whether their images are good? Who should they go to, say? Um, go to come to me, or... Uh, there's only two people in um, practising photographers I know. Uh, that's not talking of Ed or, or, uh, or Paul, of course, who are ably equipped. I'm just talking about photographers that I practise. Me and Martin are the only two I... Martin's the only one I've ever known. I've met a woman recently who's pretty good. But it's extremely rare. What I'm trying to say is it's so difficult to get an honest assessment, you know, because everyone's so polite to everybody. And I have to be, like, controlled, you know, because, I mean, I, I mention certain things, you know, and they say, oh, don't mention that, you know, like politics, you know. Politics has, been in, has infiltrated photography all through my career. And it does actually, it just seems to perpetuate itself. Younger people taken on board and become politically orientated within photography because they find themselves in a certain strong position. It's so difficult. But uh, 
there's very few people give you an honest assessment, and I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm so honest, it hurts, actually. <laughs> and I'm too honest for my own good at times. Um, but, I mean, I'd like to touch on a couple of other subjects, which Paul touched on strongly earlier as well, and Ed, was the fact personality. Personality is vital. I mean, way back, you know, when I go back in time, I mean, I used to dress crazily, you know. I didn't wear trousers for 12 years. <laughs> I wore plus fours, you know, instead with stockings and that. And I sang on television and did everything. It's promotion, personality. People in the, uh, in the industry want to work with interesting people. It makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to go off and do a job with somebody, you want it to be fun and... And they've got to be good, of course, but it's just got to be interesting and good fun at the same time. So if you're dull, then you're not going to get any work, you know. But if you're interesting, you're going to get it all. It makes sense. So that's part of your marketing, you know, is, is I don't know. Um, you're talk, talking about yeah. getting work, and this is something you touched yeah. on in the first, um, the first question. Self-promotion. Yeah. Um, some photographers some obviously have it, and they've got the ability to go out there, promote themselves, talk about themselves. <laughs> come to events like this. Um, some some talkers choose to use an agent and do the representation. Mm. I mean, in the panel's opinion, who's the best person? Y uh, yourself, definitely. Yeah. Agents, oh God, the times I've sat next to agents and they've said something about me and I want to get up and strangle them, you know? But you can't strangle them because you might, you know, go, God, you strangled his agent. We can't, go, we can't go to South Africa with him, can we? He might strangle me. So you can't strangle the agent. The times I've wanted to strangle. So you are the best promoter. They, they want to feel your personality. They want to, they want to feel you, you know? They want to, you've got to be good, of course. You've got to be good at what you do. If you're talented, and you're an interesting person, then you'll get the job. I mean, it's possible, probably, if you're a genius to get the job, although you're as dull as ditch water. But then, as a photographer, you probably wouldn't be dull, because photography's all about personality. And the best personalities are the best photographers, or the most interesting personalities tend to be the most interesting photographers. I think you'd, you'd get an agent if you didn't have time to do it yourself. I think that would be the, the main criteria. I mean, the counter-example, just to mention it, is Andreas Gursky, who I've never met, but by all accounts is very, very quiet and mousy and has a really great agent, and look at him. So, God, you know, where does that leave us? But it's, it's, that's very, very, very rare. But then he, he's, um, correct me if I'm wrong, primarily an artistic practice, is it the work? Is, is the, yeah, the agent yeah. would be representing to commissioners, maybe, yeah. or curators. He gets on with... He gets on making the pictures, and, yeah. so, and somebody yeah. else sells them, yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean, talking about an artistic practice... Um, again, I've noticed that quite a few of our photographers don't really want, they want to sit on the fence, they're not necessarily commercial all the time, not very artistic all the time. Um, would, you, how would you advocate photographers kind of doing a bit of artistic practice to promote their commercial work, or vice versa, taking commercial work to fund their artistic practice? And I think that's becoming more of more interest to more photographers. I think it's more open because, I mean, you know, once upon a time, you, you were a photographer. You were not allowed to be an artist. People would, would gag and throw up if you uh, spoke of yourself in, that, in those sorts of terms. These days, it's a little bit more acceptable, and artistic practice has opened up to much wider understanding, I think. And also, in terms of the market, photographers see that people, you know, there's a growing photography market in this country, and so uh, photographers actually wanted a piece of that cake. I mean, having an agent works. In, if you want to go into the sort of markets that are in London, if you're in the markets which are outside of London, there's no point because there's no agent. Uh, they don't know that North of Watford exists, really. But going out and promoting yourself, yes, you've got to do lots of things. So promoting yourself, putting your you know, pictures on the web as uh, you know, fine art prints, it might not make you a lot of money. You might sell four prints a year, you might sell 20 prints a year, who knows? But the big thing is that it gets you noticed. I mean, one of the things which people do when they enter the Sun Awards is we have, we have quite a mix of, com of commissioned and non-commissioned work in there. One, one person, Chris Lear, who gets in the awards quite regularly, um, he's mainly studio food photographer. You would not know that from any of the work that he gets into Sun. It's all personal work. It's really quite quirky sort of work. He was actually our best image winner last year. Uh, he relates the story that Somebody saw one of his pictures uh, when we had the Sun Awards up in a venue and said, I really like that stuff, you know, um, can I buy that picture? The guy bought the picture 
And Chris said to him, well, I don't just do this stuff. I actually do a lot of food photography as well. And he went, oh, can I see it? Showed it to him. And he got a huge commission out of it. It was nuts. I mean, the photograph was of a, a, a porcelain dog on a, a mantelpiece. Nothing to do with food. Nothing to do with the style of food photography he did. But going out there and uh, talking to people, I mean, I mean, you know, like Brian was saying, coming and talking to you guys here tonight, that actually widens awareness of who you are and what you do. Um, a lot of people go out, you'll find photographers actually have their own podcasts on their websites these days, just talking about their own photography. If you go onto iTunes and you look through, I was looking through yesterday, and I was going, what's all these photography podcasts? And they're all people talking about themselves, and I'm thinking, God, do I really want to listen to that? But maybe somebody does, you know, and it's all self-promotion. Yeah, I, I was going to say that um, I, I did something from the beginning of my career, actually, which I thought was quite important, and I don't, uh, I, I'm not a brutal commercial photographer today. Um, I sort of generate my own big commercial projects if I, with my own wit and wisdom and that. But what I did, going back to what Ed and Paul were talking about, was that it, it's very important to have your exhibitions and have your own work and try and get your own work in various, which is like now, it's like so many photographic publications, it's like unbelievable. Plus, of course, what Ed was talking about, the internet is that the best art directors in this country, they don't go, you know, for normal run-of-the-mill stuff. They look at everything. They buy photographic magazines. They go to exhibitions. Well, they should. I'm sure they, sh they certainly do. Uh, and they look at the photographic publications. They look at Internet sites. They're trying to cherry-pick, you know, the best talent this country's got. So it's very important to, to do your own work because if you want to be a commercial photographer... Like, my career still gets enhanced by me having exhibitions and doing my own stuff. I still, I get more work, I get tons of work from that way. It's, you, you don't just channel yourself and do commercial work, you do, you, you broadcast out where you're at, you know, and you can get loads of work from your own work. Um, it's always worked for me anyway. I mean, they love, I mean, when I meet a creative director and they, they hear I've had this big exhibition there and exhibition there and they've seen me here, seen me there, they're almost like, oh, you know, they're like, oh, and they're like creative directors of these big London agencies and they go, oh, it's, it's lovely, lovely to, to, to meet you, you know. <laughs> and I haven't done any advertising work for like oh, six years, I think. And they're like so in awe of me. Just because of my own projects and that. I think it's important. Yeah. Most of the most of the people that commission a photographer will be looking for a creative solution to a exactly, problem. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we've got a, we've got a Volvo and we've got a photograph and a bit of tarmac over there. Uh, <laughs> how can you make that interesting? I mean, I think so exactly. If we, if, we, if we know that the photographer's got a bit of a creative mind, then and, and I think most well. I, I, don't, I don't like to dwell too much on the distinction between personal projects and commissions in a way because they're, they're, they're both commissions in a sense you commission yourself but also some of the best work comes from commissions I mean all of Mozart's work was commissioned <laughs> you know what I mean so it's like uh, not that it's quite the same now but um, and then yeah so, so it's actually in photography it's the same a lot of really great work is commissioned and if everybody starts off wanting if I go into a college and say who wants to be an exhibition photographer everybody sticks their hands up they want work on the walls I mean, very few people start out just wanting to make money from photography and in fact somebody, when I started somebody said if, I, if you want to make money from if you want to make money be a crack dealer because <laughs> <laughs> you'll never make it um, Grace, Grace Robertson says um, photography she calls it um, Champagne life and on beer money. Which, uh, so you'll never make a huge amount of money. And everybody wants to do the thing because everybody loves photography. And slowly people find they like actually working to commission or some people really don't like working to commission and want to continue to do their own thing because they, ha they happen to be very good at it. So you'll find your... Everybody starts off wanting to do their own thing. Find your kind of way of working, I think, where your personality fits in and then the work will follow, perhaps. I'm going to just touch on that point. Uh, I don't want to butt in too no, much, no, but no. Uh, I think what Paul just said is absolutely, absolutely right. You don't, you must never do photography to, for the money. And, and because I've been doing it so long, I've watched people and some extremely famous people, like do photography because they love it, but then they get the taste, the taste of the money, and they go to the money, and their photography starts to get weak and flounder. It's so interesting, the equation of money and photography, how they don't actually come together very happy as happy, happy bedfellows. 
They really don't. I think that might be case of hyper cause tune, so yeah. it's compromise mm. and you find that the quality of the photography might be com you know, it's compromised for that reason. Yeah. Whereas a, a photographer who's working to a commission but gets to have his own creative input. When there's a lot of money, there's a lot of people to satisfy, and so everybody will stick their yeah. oar in and try and... That, that, that's why, you know, get an editorial job to do, sort of, to illustrate a, a magazine, and you get the art director who goes, you know, this is the sort of thing we want, just do something. And it's great, you get completely free range within, you know, the rough idea of what they want, and you probably get a little run of a quite good job to do that. You probably get about 300 quid a job, you know. On the other hand, you get, a, a, you know, the art director who's seen that work and goes, right, we're going to have the client, there's me, there's an assistant, there's models, this, that and the other. Um, we had a shoot outside of uh, Oldham Hospital. And we spent all day doing this shot. And we got it in the last five minutes, because they were all suggesting, can we do it this way and can we do it that way? And uh, my model who I'd taken along, no, my assistant who I'd taken along that day, on the, on the way home, he said, Ed, if, if they hadn't been there, you could have done that in five minutes, couldn't you? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Just to keep on talking about marketing for a minute or two, um, websites, and is there any kind of, bare, what's the bare minimum a photographer should be doing to promote themselves? I mean, we talked about exhibitions and the self-initiated projects. How important is that kind of, I mean, should we be using Flickr and forget about our own website? I mean, what's... A, a website is... is, is I would have thought quite important, um, very important in fact. Um, a lot of work still comes directly from good websites, more so than from blogs, photo blogs. Although I love photo blogs, um, it seems that, I don't know, I mean, just anecdotally, we, I should, we should perhaps investigate this a bit further, how, whether, how people have got work through websites. But the web, the web is, is critical. But your book is important as well, uh, your, your portfolio. Um, who is it who said there's three rules of marketing? One is do it. So in other words, don't just expect the phone to ring. Two is plan it, so you have a kind of, you go and see people, um, you know, in the right order and you kind of expect things off them. You don't, you don't kind of do it all at once and then wait. And, and then the third, his third rule was um, spend as much money as you can on your portfolio, which, is, which now I suppose you'd say on the website. But, but um, it's, it's, yeah, the portfolio is, the book has got to be, it's got to be good and it's got to be, easy to read, uh, it's got to be, you don't want to keep changing it round backwards and forwards, you don't want reflections off the photographs, you don't want to pocket at the back with a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, you get people to choose your best photograph <coughs> and then put it at the front, make it the first picture, and then put your second best picture somewhere in the middle where it surprises them, so just as they're getting bored they see something <laughs> uh, good there. You know, there's all sorts of things we can talk about portfolios, I'm sure you agree. I agree with Paul seems to know, well, he's, he knows a lot. It's extraordinary because, no, he does because he's right about portfolio because I've been judging the AOP awards only uh, about four or five days ago, just not total yet. I don't go and judge with all other judges, which I'm going to come round to in a second until the 27th, but I'm doing my sections, you know, just about three or four sections, which are landscape, travel, portrait, I think. Um, and... Um, and so I sat in this room with, like, uh, a creative director of a big London agency, uh, art buyer from another, very, both of them are really big London agency, art buyer from another London agency, which was a woman, the creative director was a man, uh, members of AOP staff, um, uh, a guy that owned his own publishing company, um, the project director of a very major advertising agency, which I never heard of a project director before, but they just take the big projects on, you know, and they, I don't know, they manage them. So all these big honchos, or big people were sitting around me, and they all said, because I thought we are in the electronic age, but we're not. They just want to see portfolios. They just love print. They don't want a disc. I mean, they go on your sites, but they want that portfolio. 25, 30 pictures... That's what they love. I mean, the creative director says, I just love print, you know? I just love prints. Because we were judging some of the AOP awards digitally, you know, on uh, iPhoto, uh, on the Mac. And then we were judging some people, because people, like, su uh, submit it because it's cheaper. They don't have to make prints. And there were other things with prints, and they just... When these advertising people went up to the prints, they just loved it, you know? <laughs> just, like, loved it so much. So... Paul's right. I mean, the folio is vital. 
to get work. Um, regarding uh, getting work, it's just photography is like so hard, so lonely. It's just phoning, knocking on doors, having uh, just never giving up. Do you, you like, find yourself still knocking on doors? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, not, well, um, knocking on doors. Oh, no, no, I don't really. I mean, I, I suffer from something else, which is like really horrible. <laughs> it's like I go and photograph somebody, like, say, really famous. I'm treated like crap. You know, I've, like, I'm an expert. I'm like a professor, aren't I? I've done photography all my life. I know it inside out. I'm technically extraordinary because I've. I'm, because so I've done it for like 40 years. I mean, I'm, I can throw a camera in the air and take a decent picture. <laughs> it's because I've done it all my life, and I'm, a, I'm a, one of the Britain's most brilliant, uh, technically. And they say, who the fuck are you? you know? And I say, uh, oh, I've just come to the photograph. They go, who's that next to you then? I say, well, it's my assistant. I, they say, what's all this stuff? I say, well, it's my, my lights, my equipment. So I have that. And then I have the other side of it where... I'll do a really big project and it's all on the walls around here and it's like, I don't know, it's on television or whatever it might be. And everybody, like, like all my subjects, just like what I photographed, they're in the show and whatever, just walk right past me, ignore me. People like start to take credit for most of the work on the walls. <laughs> you know, it's just my, my wife and my children, you know, and my best friends are going, brilliant Brian really excellent show everybody else is like going like that you know <laughs> as if I didn't exist so it's still really hard for me you know I don't actually have to knock on the doors but I did do it I did it like I did it until I succeeded I when I left college I knocked on those doors so much I, months and months of it before I got that first job I was not going to give up and then through my career when my career just like went did a big nosedive and I hadn't got enough for a bag of chips I still stuck at it, you know, and suffered it, and like balancing. We're going to go on to, aren't we? Balancing books and finance and that—that's another world altogether. You know, balancing those books, keeping it like a bag of chips today, a bag of chips and an ice cream tomorrow. You know, I'll have, oh god, it's so well. I live five miles from so I'll walk to so You know, and walk back. You know, can't afford to go there on the bus. You know, all that I've done it all. So we can see, you can see the Brian Griffin healthy yeah. diet. <laughs> Water and beer. Water and beer. Just, can, I, can I chip in two yeah. things on, on marketing, if that's sort of the subject we're yeah. on? Um, just something that occurred to me is uh, I've, I've got many, many jobs the day after I send out an invoice, which is weird. You don't expect that to happen, but somebody, all that's happening is I'm reminding them of me, and they happen to, the invoice happens to land on their desk the day they need somebody. Very good. And, and you don't... You, not in the marketing guide, but you know, ask for money and that you'll get work. Mm. But it's just about reminding us, reminding people in different ways. And you know, there's <clears throat> there's so many different ways. There's as many different ways of marketing yourself as there are people as photographers. And, or, and yeah, I mean, I um, sort of take an example of an associated industry that we work with, uh, copywriters. For an example, uh, their invoice set. They had they had an invoice for the regular thirty days. They had an invoice for 60 days and had an invoice for 90 days. And the tone of language on each of their invoices changed from being, OK, it's not 50 days, that was fine. Polite, minimal. Second one was, it's time that you pay. You know, we'll, and, it's, and then the third one was, like, this is getting fucking crazy now. We want you to pay. And <laughs> yeah, right. it was an application of their craft mm. in the corner that you least expect. Oh, you mean the, so, thir the 30, 60, 90 day uh, blocks and not the, the, the cross or the ticking? Yeah. Or the money in each one of those. Oh, there's a lot of people so to that now. Every, yeah. every, everything that yeah. you do as part of your business should be yeah. infused with what it is you do. So yeah. One other thing as well that Brian mentioned, one thing that I think is really, um, really important is knockbacks when you're, when you're pitching, when you're go walking around trying to see people. And I used to like see one person and, and be told you know, they weren't interested. And that would take me about six months to recover from. And actually... That's no good. You've just got to get thick-skinned, and you've just got to be used to the fact that people don't necessarily hate your work. They just it just doesn't fit with them, sort of thing. But um, uh, I, somebody told me they they went to see an agency in London, and um, she she gave them the the, the book kind of uh, like this, and the, the the guy just flicked through it like that, and then tossed it back and said, "Now fuck off." <laughs> and then apparently a few months later they were out of business but she's really successful now so it's like it, 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 it always time. instant you know karma so it's but it, 
just just getting knocked back and how you deal with that, that's the most difficult part of marketing, I think, and actually just being resilient. I think that's what Martin does really well, Martin Part, and that's what you do really well, is just to keep on going. Keep on going. It's the biggest project. I once had a, one of the top agents, actually, and he, and he said, he said the, 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 the quality he admires in the photographer, are the, in the older ones, is the fact that they survived it. You actually survived a lifetime of doing it as a commercial photographer. It's an extraordinary feat. Extraordinary. <laughs> Just, um, you know, going, going back to the, to the web thing, one of the things that actually the web has allowed is, because I remember going around and taking my book around, and... Uh, the book predominantly then was a set of transparencies, whatever size it was, whether it was medium format, whether it was 5.4 or 10.8 transparencies, you'd take them out and the art director would hold them up to the window, never had a light box, and, and look at them. But now they get that transparency feel by looking on your website, that's the equivalent. And when you go in with your beautifully crafted print, whether somebody's done it for you, whether you've done it on your, you know, you set up your Epson printer and it's all gorgeous and it's on that wonderful paper. And you do, you get this wonderful response, but that's what the web has opened up. Before you went in, if you took an art print in, people look at you like you're slightly mad, you know, because it wasn't what they were expecting. But that, that's, that's changed that. But you can have different strategies to this doorstepping and, you know, cold calling. Uh, I, I think, you know, you have to put, you know, a few years in when you start out your career of actually doing that. And you can't let go of it, because once you let go of it, um, it's gone because people in the industry they move on you know they all move from job to job so you spend half your time catching up with them and if you let that go you're never going to find their successor so finding other strategies in I have to say that doing the Sun Awards is, is one of my strategies because it actually puts me puts my name in front of far more art directors than I could ever hope to call <laughs> and it works there's going to be 70 new award schemes in Derby <laughs> <laughs> Well, it seems like a very vibrant community, actually. I'd just like to touch briefly on the business side of stuff. Um, we mentioned quite a bit earlier when we talked about what it takes to be a photographer. Um, but how can, you know, how can a photographer make sure they're getting a, a good wage out of what they're doing? You don't want to just be living off chips. Um, Ed, could you... Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you really have to make sure that you're, you're pricing according to what the market will actually um, deliver for a start. I mean, a lot of photographers undersell themselves. I think that, that's a big problem. And you have to take advantage of repurposing your work as well, putting it into different markets. So that's, you know, the thing about doing art prints, about doing it, you know, and making sure that you're not simply, you know, giving away your, your usage on a particular image. You know, because you've got this usage grab out now, you're getting these contracts back which say, you know, unless you give us worldwide rights, we're not going to pay you. You know, go back to, to the person who's presented you that contract and go, no, I'm not going to do it. I mean, the temptation is outside of London to do that because you're just so grateful of the work. But it's not doing you any good, it's not doing your future any good, it's not doing uh, your colleagues any good either to actually do that. You've got to be efficient. Once upon a time, you know, you, you went out, you bought your kit. And, and that sort of stayed with you for a few years. You looked after it, you added a few lenses to it, you made sure it went into the repair shop when it was going a bit dodgy, but it was good and it stayed with you. Now you've got to change that kit every 18 months. So making sure that you charge the client for that investment is very important. And I think a lot of people go, I really love my work, I really love you know, buying this new kit, it's a great new tool, I'm going to spend it. And they don't realise they're actually frittering their money away down the drain. Okay, someone, someone said, uh, I asked someone how much to charge early on, and they said, oh, charge just about the amount you're embarrassed about, which is not a good rule, actually, although because people get embarrassed at different levels, but it's quite a nice idea. You just think if it's just a little bit too much, then that's probably about the right amount. But actually, it's a lot more nuts and bolts than that. You have to, as a business, you have to be, you have to work out your break-even point. You have to work out the rate below which you'll start losing money uh, and, and the first thing to go will be your pension, you know, or whatever, and, and then you're, you're effectively, if you're charging under your break-even point, break point, you're effectively giving money to the client each time you work, which is, which is really dumb. And so that's a simple exercise that um, if you don't know what that is, then um, I'll tell you where they talk about it 
It's on the NUJ. It's in the NUJ freelance fees, NUJ National Union of Journalists, uh, nuj.org.uk, and then click on freelance, and then freelance fees guide. There's quite a lot of information there. I'm sure they talk about it in Beyond the Lens. You, everybody should have Beyond the Lens. Um, you go onto the project website and the direct link yeah. to that page anyway. And then um, it's AN is good. Is, is, is anybody subscribed to AN, Artist Newsletter as well? Which is great. It's got lots of great information there that's freely available on the web and, and there's the stuff about charging. doesn't doesn't quite apply to photographers who are, as Ed says, uh, sustaining a large amount of overheads. Basically, what you have to do is you have to add up, well, the, the break-even point you, is you add up your total expenditure that you expect to, to spend during a year before you've done a single job and you divide that by the number of jobs you're going to do and that you get a figure. And if you go below that figure on what you charge, then you're losing money. And it is, and so once you've done that, you've got your bottom line and that's what you absolutely stick to. And then you add a bit depending on who the client is. So it's simple nuts and bolts sums really, but you've got, everybody's got to do it and it's different for everybody. Or come to Red Eyes, um, do you really want to do this workshop? We talk about this in um, endless and uh, soul-destroying detail. Not really, it's very fun. Well, you, must have, you must have some formula for this. Yeah, I, I think uh, Paul and Ed have covered it pretty extensively um, and sensibly. Uh, the only thing I could possibly add to it is, um, is after, you know, after you've drawn what these two guys have said, which is, makes a lot of sense to me, um, is think, uh, I'm going to attack it from just another slight angle, which is not, uh, not quite in the same area, but regarding around the same subject, is that you have to think about this job in terms of how will it further your career? Is this job not going to do anything for your career? Then obviously it's in order to live and make money. Is this job going to enhance your career? Can I take it from that angle? Because I find that easier to, 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 uh, to talk about. And, um, so you think, yes, this job's going to enhance my career. Uh, so therefore, that brings into play that maybe the financial reward initially is like Paul was talking about, will just keep you alive. You won't make a massive profit or you won't be able to buy yourself a Range Rover on it, nothing like that. It'll just keep you alive. Maybe that should, we should look at that as the basic level. But what we should look at is how can it enhance my career? What is this job? Okay, I'm going to do this job because it's going to move me up another rung. How is it going to move me up another rung? Because I'm going to think how to use this job. When I've got these pictures, and I'm going to make them amazing. I'm going to make them some of the best work I've ever done. I'm going to use them in a, a method A, method B, method C. I'm going to put them here. I'm going to have a show of them. I'm going to promote them there, and I'm going to work the whole strategy out on the basis of this lovely job that's just going to keep me alive. And then you get that job, and then, like we were t touched on earlier, like copyright. I would, I would give you an example. I mean, I think you've probably all read about the Olympics and not them, them not surrendering copyright to Magnum or something. I don't know, I read something about it. These guys probably know more about it than I do. Uh, but I got copyright on St Pancras. I didn't, get, didn't make myself a millionaire on it, but I got copyright on it, which means I can earn from the building of the the biggest railway station since 1850 or something in this country. Forever, forever I'm alive, you know? So I've been selling... I, am, I didn't... Actually, you'd be probably shocked when you heard my fee. It's enough money to, 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 for me and my wife to survive. Uh, I can't go mad on it. Um, but I'm, I've earned all the press off it. I'm now selling loads of prints from it. And I'll, I'll do that. For the, I'll probably be alive another 20 years if I don't smoke. Which I've given up in the last six months, and um, you know, so I've got I've worked that out. You know, I worked it out. I didn't go no, unless you give me another ten thousand pounds, you can fuck off with you or some pancreas station. I thought, <laughs> no, this is the biggest railway project, corporate project this country's had in 150 years. The money's crap. I'll take it. So I took it, and like the promotion from it, which I talked to Paul earlier because we know each other, is everywhere. I'm selling prints everywhere from it, and I'm, I'll be on television. I'll be on television next week. I, I've thought of the promotion side of it. What I'm trying to get over is my, is giving you an example. That's a big example. It could be a small one. It could be 
the bar around the corner here. They want some interesting portraits of the people that run the bar. You can do whatever you want, Joe Bloggs. Just want these pictures. Hey, and you're going to pay you 150 quid. It's going to take like three or four days. Plus you've got to, all the film included. You think, Christ, only 150 quid. But those pictures could be amazing, you know? They could be great photographs that the whole town of Derby goes, wow, this is amazing photography we've got in our midst, you know? And then somebody's going to open something else and, I don't know, whatever, and it's going to grow and grow and grow. So there's that side of it as well, you know? So what I'm actually going to boil it down to and shut up is, uh, <laughs> is if you try and grab the money big time, then you might lose an opportunity. So you've got to play this like equation and it, that equation will never ever leave you from from being a student just leaving college and being your first job until the last job you can stand up and photograph that that that's never going to leave you and if you want to be a photographer all your life you've got to face that dilemma so often in order to keep your career going and I still face it and I'm doing it now you know I don't know, that was just another side to affairs. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> sorry, I just rambled a bit. Um, Is it, was it appropriate? It I don't was know. entirely appropriate. Oh, good. Thank you. Just like to finally talk about the future. Um, we're all going to be working 20 years at least, we hope. Um, what's photography going to be doing in that time, Paul? Um, okay, well... Uh, we can't predict the future and the, the photography that I'm interested in today I've said this before the photography I'm interested in from the past was stuff that nobody was interested in at the time it was made not all of it but some of it and if somebody's standing there saying this is going to be the next big thing it almost certainly isn't you know so so in that sense we can't say which work is going to be interesting useful good or valued a hundred years from now so that's that's one big thing um, I suppose there's a whole bunch of you know, technical things and the way that photography is going. Uh, but I suppose it's it's with the, with the enormous growth of non-professional photography, um, professionals have got to increasingly do something that um, sets them apart. Which is, which is, yeah, I actually don't quite believe that. <laughs> if I, the, um, the guy from uh, oh, me, Greg Hobson said, did did anybody hear him? And he said. Um, Oh, you know, we, Greg Hobson, Nas uh, National Museum of Photography, Film and Television, now become a National Media Museum. He's head of uh, contemporary photography there. And he says, um, uh, you know, the general, we're not really interested in the general run of photography. We're interested in people who differentiate themselves from that. And I'm actually thinking, well, National Museum of Photography, or as was, they should be interested in the general run of photography. And, but as professionals, we need to continue to, continue to have something that's... Um, people find hard to get elsewhere. We did an event, The Photographer's Guide to the Future, and you can, you can, and you, Ed was there actually, he was very good. Uh, and it's all, it's all, well, I got to talk that time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can tell us, can't you? No, I can't remember, you go on <laughs> No, you know, it's, um, what's it, uh, uh, Sam Goldwyn says, nobody knows nothing. In other words, he, he, when he was, when he was finding out which feature film was going to be successful, no matter how, what formula you applied to it, you could never tell. So there's hope for everybody.